Welcome to Talking Books. I'm Simon Mattox, and I read out loud for a living. Yes, I'm an audiobook narrator, and in this series of podcasts, I get together with an author whose book or books I've recorded, and we talk about writing, recording, and all things Talking Books. So hello, and welcome to Talking Books number two, and I'm here with best-selling author, she raises her eyebrows sceptically at me on that one, Susie Holliday. Um, And Susie and I know each other a little bit, spoiler alert, but not very well. Anyway, um, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> We're so nice. We're so polite. Everybody's so English. Well, except... Oh, so, except God, I'm a... Scottish, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's my first terrible mistake. <laughs> so, you're from Scotland, yep. Susie. You probably knew that. Yep. Whereabouts? Uh, a little place called Haddington, which is near Edinburgh. I know Haddington. No way. Have this, we had this discussion? I don't know, because that's quite weird. Because not, not that many people Fish and chip shop. It has two chippies. But doesn't it have a very famous fish and chip shop? Um, no. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sure we used to go to Haddington to get our fish and chips, because I lived in Gullen. Ah, well, Gullen has a very good fish and chip shop, Does so it? why the hell would you go to Haddington? Do you know, I don't know. We definitely had two very good chippies then, and the Gullen one may not have been there then, so who knows? Who knows? But in, fact, in the first podcast, funny enough, I was talking about moving to Scotland and being bullied, because oh. I was a sassnack by your lot. <laughs> My lot. But then you just do an accent and then they wouldn't have known. Well, that's what I did. That was the first did time you? I is ever... That, is yeah. that how you actually started doing accents? I think so. Yeah. Hmm. I just remember going out of the house and doing that. I mean, that's the thing about accents, though. I think you just suck them up, whatever you listen to. I lived in Dublin for a couple of years. I was pretty much Irish when I came back. <laughs> so I think it's just, especially if you're susceptible to that kind of thing, you would yes, pick, you pick it I'm up. I'm completely susceptible. It's Yes, I, I have no, it's like I have no personality. I just gravitate <laughs> to the nearest one. Um, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, so I, yes, I will have to really stop myself. Anyway, but, but before I do stop it's myself. It's quite good though, actually, I have to say. Thanks very much. Come on. I'm not sure where it's meant to be based, but it's. I don't know, it's just, what, just how I used to sound when I used to go out of the house and talk like that. From Gullen, free Gullen, eh? It's quite Gullen, actually. Is it? Yeah. But isn't there a posh, there's a posh side, yeah, there's, there's a Gullen posh, as well, the, isn't Gillen, there? it's Gillen. Gillen, yeah. is it? Yeah. Gillen. Um, no, you're not that, I don't think. No, I'm not. Um, but the, no, there's, well, the thing, that's the thing about Scotland, isn't there? There's lots of posh bits and non-posh bits and yeah. the accents really, really vary. Um, and I think when I left, I, well, I went to Ireland first before I went to, came down to England. And um, I definitely modified how I speak because people don't understand me. Like in Ireland, a lot of people thought I was Northern Irish. I lived in Dublin, but they thought I was Northern Irish. Really? Um, because there's kind of similarities to it, but it's not exactly the same. And I think I started to actually become a Northern Irish for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I came back and kind of became Scottish again and then moved to England and realised, oh, I'm going to have to slow it down a bit here. Um, do and, you? So you do, you oh, do consciously absolutely. make an effort? Absolutely. Slow down your your speech. I, th- I think it's not even conscious now. It just happens naturally that I will speak a little slower because I know that when I go home, I speak quicker. Um, like if I speak to my sister, it's it's probably incoherent to anyone else <laughs> who overhears it. Um, so yeah, definitely. But um, and also words and stuff. And I think one of the things I notice about not being in Scotland is that sometimes you forget some of the the words that you grew up with that are just not used anymore. Right. Which I think is quite sad. So I think I need to write a really Scottish book so that I can just you do. pour them all back in there. You do. I, I wanted just to, just to say the words Musselburgh <laughs> to you. <laughs> Not the word, it's a one word, Musselburgh. Yeah. So 
Ice cream. Yeah, Lucas. Lucas ice cream. Yeah. Famous. Famous. And I can remember going there as a kid and there was always a huge queue outside, even in the yeah, dead of winter. Yeah, there still is. Exactly. The same. Really? Is it? Mm. So it's still there? Yeah. Wow. They have little vans now as well. They do like outreach ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so you can People get on the... People are so desperate <laughs> but can't get out because they've eaten so much. They're just kind of housebound. Exactly. But yeah, there's lots of ice cream. There's there's also Dirolo. There's a bit of a sort of Italian ice cream competition going on in wow. East Lothian, actually. Okay. But um, yeah, like Luca. Luca's strawberry is the best. Is it? Mm. Good. So writing. So in fact, um, I recorded Deaths in December. The Deaths of December? Deaths of December, yeah. Which you probably recorded in March or something, which is right, quite odd because it's very wintry. Yes. Well, when did you write it? I wrote it around then. I think I actually finished it around Easter 2017. So you would have probably recorded it in the summer. Okay. Um, because I remember having a very strange time trying to remember all the Christmas things while there were Easter things everywhere. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I started writing it and I wrote a lot of notes, it was at Christmas. Um, so like I went to Kingston, actually, and um, a lot of the opening is actually sort of based on the, the high street in Kingston and the carol singers and various kind of like Christmas stalls and all that right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of got that from there and then... Um, just merged all the rest of it into different towns and it became a made-up town. But um, And it's been reissued? Yeah, so it's been reissued because originally when I wrote it, I always planned for it to be a series. Um, but for various reasons, that didn't happen. So it kind of ended on a cliffhanger and has stayed there ever since. And that's always annoyed <laughs> Teetering me. on the edge of the cliff. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's the kind of thing that really annoys me in a book. And you're thinking, like, that's clearly been set up for other books. Well, yeah, it has, but there isn't one. Um, so then finally, yeah, I had a conversation with the publishers this year and they said, yes, please, we'll have more. So I'm writing two more um, and the first one will be out next Christmas and there will now be a sample of that one in the back of the ebook of this one. So that's why they're reissuing it. So they're giving it a new cover and they're putting in the first chapter of the next one and then that should hopefully be done in the next couple of weeks. So if you buy it now, it'll get updated and if you wait two weeks you'll get it with that bit in it. So then you will then know when you get to the end, aha, there will be more. Great. And you were, you were saying just now um, to me before we started recording that uh, you don't normally listen to audiobooks, uh, and certainly not your own, but you have been listening to that one. Yeah, well, I listened to the whole of that one because when I got it, so normally when I get an audiobook, I listen to the first chapter or if there's multiple voices, I listen to the first chapter of, of each one because I just like to hear mm. how you people put my characters to life. I think I told you at the time when I heard your version of Eddie, I actually cried because oh. it's so completely encapsulated how I imagined him to be. Um, but like, No, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, so, I mean, he's like a Londoner and he's male and he's two things I'm not. So I can write him, but I can't really hear him. And so when you did that, um, I listened to it and I was like, oh my God, that is exactly right. That's what that's who he is. Oh, well, that's that's wonderful. As somebody who records books, that's exactly what you want to hear. You know, what you don't want to hear is someone go, um, <laughs> what on earth were you doing with that character? It just sounded awful. I never thought of it like that. You know, or whatever. Yeah. So when you say you don't, you don't hear him. So I hear him, but I hear him in my own voice. So, okay. I, so I can, even though I write him how I imagine he sounds... He, I don't hear him. He doesn't talk like that in my head. That's odd, isn't it, to talk about characters talking in your head? But no, it's I not. don't I really don't hear it, but I knew that that's kind of the voice he had. So then when okay. I actually heard it properly on the audio, it was fantastic. 
So then because I was preparing to write these new books, I thought the best way to get absorbed into the world again was to listen to it. So um, I listened to the whole of it just recently and I loved it. And it was really odd because it's like, it's so long since I wrote it that it didn't feel like I'd written it and it just felt like I was listening to it for the first time. And I really loved it. And it wasn't quite at the stage where I was thinking, oh, I wonder what happens because I did remember what happened. <laughs> Um, but it just was really nice to have that distance from it and then go back and rather than reread it, which is what I was going to do, um, to listen to it. So yeah, it's made it easier for me to start writing the next one. Um, I say start, I hope my editor's not listening. It's nearly finished, honestly. <laughs> okay. So, so let's pretend that they aren't listening. Um, and where is it up to? So have you started anything? Yeah, yeah, I have. St yeah, yeah, it's quite far down the line because it's actually due in in January. Okay, wow. Um, and I need to, I really need to have a draft before Christmas just so that I can have it off my desk and then I'll go back to it after. Okay. Um, so that's my plan and it should work. And what um, is, what is your process? Well, usually I have an idea that, um, that kind of comes to me. I don't know where they come from, ideas. The idea for this one actually came back at the time when I think when I was, had written The Deaths the first time. So like it was already, it's quite old, this idea, but I always knew I wanted to do it. Um, and that's what I do is I usually think about something and I think about it more and then and then I start writing notes and emails, I email them back to myself. So I keep replying to the same email with that title on it. And eventually I've got like a whole kind of dossier and I've got that for hundreds of ideas. Many of them will never become anything, but I, instead of losing it or writing it in a notebook, this is how I do it. So hmm. I've got that. I do that for all my books. And then once I've got to a point where I'm like, yeah, this is the one, um, then I actually sit down and properly outline it and like chapter by chapter, because I, because I still have a day job. So it's easier for me to know exactly what so I'm So I noticed, because I was looking up your, your biography online, and it said you by day she works in pharmaceuticals, so you still yeah. have a day job. Yeah, wow. yeah. I'm part-time now, but it's still... In fact, I'm supposed to be there now, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, you're, not you're not well, are you? I, I think very, very, very ill at the moment. Uh, the thing is, I work for myself, so I do contract work. I charge by the hour. I do usually about five hours, six hours a day. And that doesn't sound like too much out of 24 hour days, but it, it is when you're That's trying to write and you're trying to do other things yeah, as well sure. and um, get around it. And what I've really struggled with is, is switching between the two. So I was actually talking to a writer friend this morning about this, Steph Broderib, and I think we have similar processes because she's also had a day job for a lot of her um, writing time. Is that it's just trying to switch off the the day job stuff and focus on the creative side is really hard because you know that other stuff needs to be done. There's people asking for things. There's pe there's there's meetings happening, and you just want to shut it off and and do the creative stuff, which is hard. Mm. Um. So yeah, I'm still trying. This is I'm now. This is my eleventh book that I'm writing now, and I wow. still haven't quite found how to do it. However, I seem to have managed to do it ten times already. <laughs> so. I must be doing something right. It's just it's always stressful, and I think I could, there must be an easier way. Is it? So it's always stressful. So you find it, it's not a kind of, it's not a pleasure then? It's a pleasure at a certain point. Like once the writing is, I, I quite like outlining because I think that that's where I really plot things out and I right. get the story out. And then when I'm writing it, I'm kind of um, impatient because the actual writing is takes longer than okay. the outlining. Okay. Um, and then I just want to get it done so that then I can read it and then I can edit it and stuff. Um, it's almost like the story is, is playing away in my head the whole time, but it's just not on the page. And I find that process a bit laborious to start with. And then it seems to accelerate. And I, I you know, then I write a lot towards the end. This seems, if I look at all the word counts that I've kept for every single book, same thing happens. It's like I 
cruise along for a very long time and then I go, oh my God, it's due next week <laughs> and suddenly start writing 5,000 words a day. Right. Um, and it's always stressful, but it's just always the way I do it. And so, I mean, well, I'm sure it's an incredibly naive question, but how many words a day is good then? 5,000 words a day? Well, that's that, huge. I mean, most it? writers don't write anything like okay. that in a day. I mean, I think a lot of people aim for 2,000 a day, but that's that's a lot. I mean, I know a lot of writers who write 500 a day and they're more than happy with that. I mean, okay. 500 words a day for me would normally just be a warm-up. And then that's just kind of what gets me into it. And then I'll continue. But everyone's different. Like some yeah. people just take a lot longer and they like to edit as they go whereas I quite I kind of edit as I go but it's it's not consciously it's, it's I get it out but it's not messy it's kind of it's readable if that makes sense so I could give you a first draft and you could read it all it'd be fine and it would just need a bit of tweaking and then it would go to the editor and would, whatever would happen to it but you know a lot of people I know write a lot more words but what they write they call it their vomit draft it's just getting out what they think is the story and actually they have to do quite a lot of rewriting and, and whatever. So I think everyone just does it differently. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that as a writer, you you tend to count in words rather yeah. than pages. Yeah, yeah, I think we, I think we all do, really. Um, hmm. Although, actually, I heard an interview with Ian Rankin once where he talks about pages and I think he said when he's drafting, he tries to write 20 pages a day. Now, that given that a page is about 400 words, it's quite a lot words yeah yeah i mean that's really big but i think that's what he does i think he does a bit of plan and then he does a big splurgy writing period okay because that's interesting because i suppose i try and record i mean 20 20 pages an hour is kind of good going for mm. me you know yeah that's quite because you work on a roughly i think roughly two minutes a page yeah of spoken word but we're not even thinking in pages at that point. No, of course. Because sometimes you might write five words in a day and then cry about it. Oh, so do you have a do you have a special kind of software that you use? No, I just use Word. Okay. Um, there's lots of people who use Scrivener, Scrivener and I just yeah, can't so really I, get into it. I bought it. that because obviously I'm a I'm a novelist as well. <laughs> of Susie. course you are. Yeah, of course I am. I've written I've written five chapters. Actually. Have you? Yeah. Oh well, actually, yeah. I was going to ask you if you were writing anything because. Uh, <laughs> I have spoken yeah. to other audio people who have decided to write their own words. Oh, have you? Yeah. Damn them, who are they? Uh, Imogen um, Church, you know, do you know her? No. She's she's name. writing a couple of things now, actually. Well, yeah, okay. which is interesting. Because I always wonder, what I must ask her what that's like, actually, to change. Because what you're doing is very different skill set. And yes, completely different. Yes. I mean, I, yeah, I, mean I, I wrote this some time ago and have not done anything with it. And occasionally I sit down, I've written the old play and this, that and the other, but um, I think I'm impatient really as well because it's a know, very slow process, isn't it, writing? Have you tried to dictate it? Because given that you're a word uh, reading out loud person, maybe that would be a... A reading out loud person. Yeah. Hello, I'm a reading out loud person. That's what I've got on my passport. That's, um, that's what you should have on your passport. Well, I know, but that is what I say to people actually when, you know, people who say, so what do you know, what do you do? And I say, well, I, yeah, I record audiobooks. <laughs> what? Well, you know, I, I basically read out loud for well, a Well, there you go. See, I just made it easier. I know, it's true. I must stop doing that thing with my, following the, the, the sentence, the, the words with my finger though. The boy stood at the end of the platform. You know, anyway. Yeah, but given that's how you read, you read something. So when someone sends you an audio book, you, uh, a book to be an audio book, you read it couple of times probably before you start recording I, I i research it yes i i read it i i get the clothes from the period 
and I visit all the towns that are mentioned in the book, obviously. Yep. I, I, I buy a car if, if, <laughs> if the, if the um, protagonist has a car. I buy the same car. No, no. I mean, yeah, you read it, yeah. But not, not twice. No. No, I don't. So once I mean, is enough. So, okay, I think that'd be hard because you're going to, especially if something, at, at the moment now, there's lots of books with multiple points of view. So you kind of got to know who each person is and decide how you're going to portray them. Don't you? Yes. Well, that, yes. I mean, if I just, because I didn't particularly remember your book because it was five years ago, <laughs> as you said, and I'm glad to say that you didn't remember it either. <laughs> so we're both like, what was this book? <laughs> But I mean, it was great. I mean, I, I listened to, I, I downloaded the, um, I had to buy my own audiobook on, uh, on Audible. Oh, no, I would have sent you one. Oh, I've, I've actually got one here, I realised afterwards. It was, <laughs> it was, you know, I've got a credit on Audible, I'm fine. But, um, and, I, and I got the book from, uh, from Kindle as well, and uh, was just sort of flicking through it. And of course, yes, it's, there's, there's different characters doing, narrating different chapters. Yeah. Which is great. Uh, but also, of course, I remember that yours was one of those ones that I initially, when I started to read it, I was thinking, oh, because the murderer mm. has a voice yeah. and, and writes chapters yeah. or narrates chapters, if yeah. you like. Um, and is also appears yeah. in the story. And as, as a narrator, you sort of don't want to give that away. Exactly. But actually, fortunately, with yours, it becomes very obvious very quickly. Yes. yes. Yeah, because it was impossible for it not to. And I think... It's kind of similar in the next one. It's that it's almost like you know this. Um, it's kind of based on. I don't know if you ever read any of the early James Patterson books where he, no. with the ones he wrote himself. Did I say that? Um, I don't think it's a secret. But um, a lot of those had that, and they had that, and uh, I loved those. And they they always had like a killer point of view, and the reader would know the, who the killer was, or they'd know a lot about them, or it wasn't that wasn't the twist. It was about hmm. getting into their head, and that's kind of what I wanted to do with that book. So hmm. I think the fact that you found out quite quickly that who he was and who he was then becoming Targeting. friends with, yeah. I think that's a big part of the whole kind of suspense of the book because you're thinking yeah. oh my god this is this person we know he's bad mm. and he's talking to this person and oh what's going to happen so that's kind of the driver for it i think mm. i think the more you write and the more you um listen to things or watch things you start thinking about these things as well because uh actually my um my most recent book the hike centers around a mystery where there are two people and you don't know who they are. When I was writing it, I was like, this is fine, it works in book form, but it's really difficult everywhere else because um, narration-wise, you have to be quite ambiguous about the characters. And mm. then film-wise or TV-wise, you know, we've talked to a few people about it and they have said, we need to find a way around this because that's a real important part that that's kept as a mystery. But how do you do it when you're going to see them? Mm. So, and you don't just want to do something really kind of cliched by only showing the back to their heads or their feet or whatever no. i think you can do that for a little while but you when it's like the whole driver of the story is that you can't do that no. so um i think this is something that i now think about more when i start to write something it's like well also i might consider how it works in audio and and tv it's a logical step to uh have your book produced as an audio book but then the tv thing mm. that's much more of a sort of holy grail is it yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, so I've got one book at the moment. It's in development. Violet is in development for a film. Um, so wow, that's, that's been, great. As well, the thing is, it was all very exciting, and then COVID happened, and right. it's been delayed quite a lot because of that. Then also, we had a director, and that was very exciting, and then she left. So um, that we've got a new one now, who's brilliant. But it just means that we're, mm. we're really behind. And originally, 
they had planned to start filming it um, now, right now, um, in Ukraine. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So yes, potentially one or two yeah. issues. So there. now it's just like, oh my god. So yeah, we've had to rewrite the script now. To um, I mean, based, this book is based on the Trans-Siberian Express. So, oh, oh. So, so, so no money needed there. It's just really. a, yeah. the big issue is the, the whole Russia part. So we've had to remove it. Um, so yeah, this is the thing that happens. Like, so I wrote that book. This that book also came out um, maybe a few months after Death of December. So maybe twenty eighteen, I think. Yeah. So at the time, there was no problems anywhere, and it was right. fine to write this book. And the book was based on a trip I did myself in two thousand and six. Um, a trip that probably I couldn't do now, which so I'm now really, really glad that I did do it back mm, then. Mm. Um, and there'd be many people now who who won't be able to do that trip. Yeah. So it's great, but it just means the whole TV film thing has now gone completely up in the air. We've had to change it. I mean, the, the core story is the same. It's about two girls um, who meet and decide to share a cabin together. And obviously that's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> so did you have some kind of young TV executive say, listen, you know, Susie, we love the whole kind of trans-Siberian thing, but have you thought about setting it, I don't know, between like Croydon and Luton maybe? Because like, you know, that, there's a train service. Um, no, actually, no, no. We, we didn't need to do that. I think the, the good thing was that um, you can transport it into any big long European train journey because it just has to be a sleeper. Okay. Um, okay. The actual story obviously was... It goes through Mongolia and to Russia, and that was all part of the story. But what happens there can be moved. Okay. So, yeah, hopefully it's still happening. Oh, well, fantastic. That's great. So who who's recorded the hike, and why wasn't it me? <laughs> that's basically that's the question I really want to ask. I is think why. it was Imogen, actually. Yeah. Oh, I see. Sorry, oh, sorry. No. I know. I don't know. I feel like I've, I've got, like, two audio partners. It's so <laughs> difficult. <laughs> Which one do I choose? I've got to make one of you unhappy. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm, I am joking. I mean, um, am I? Yes, no, I am. Well, you need to team up for the next one because what you also did a part of the lingering of mine, didn't you? And that was a, like four people. Yes, that was a uh, substitute. Was it? Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't well, even maybe remember it wasn't. that. Maybe no, it... you might be right. I might be wrong. No, no, I think you might be right. I think no, it might have been substitute. But yeah, it was one. Of, so I think I've had two books where there's been multiple narrators. Okay. That's quite a new thing as well, which is yes. interesting. How do you how do you find that? Um, honestly, I don't really like it. Mm. Um, although having said that, I did record uh, a book called The Insect House recently, and that was a multi-narrator. That was four of us. In fact, three. Jilly Bond, Regina Reagan, and myself. Jilly and Regina and I were all at drama school together oh, in wow. 1804, <laughs> um, when it was all sort of horse-drawn carriages. Um and I mean, it's just weird because I mean, you're not working together because we're all recording from our separate home yeah. studios. But it's just, it was just kind of quite sweet, really. So, yeah, I was married to Jilly uh, and Regina was my love interest. So <laughs> she was like a young, young American girl of about 30. And I'm, I'm playing a lot, you know, a much older guy. Anyway, but I really enjoyed that, actually. That was a kind of just because I, I thought it was I liked my character and, and I thought it was well written. But yeah, I, and it's not as satisfying as reading, mm. as reading a, a book from start to finish, I find. Interesting. Because I was thinking this was the way it was going because it seemed to be quite um, happening fairly regularly. But then yeah. it didn't happen. It's not happened in all of mine. It's only been in a couple. So, But is that because you haven't written them that way? No, because all of my books have got multiple points of view. So it could easily be done by yeah, different true. people. Yeah, true. Deaths of December, of course, is, there's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, we'll see. So, yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you. So it's a, it's a sort of sequel, is it? Or is it just another in the no, series? No, it's a completely st a new standalone, but it will have Becky and Eddie in it. 
Okay. Um, and some of the other characters who um, popped up around, who also I got to hear their voices for the first time um, when I listened to the audio. <laughs> um, because there's one of them. So the, the, this with this book, um, I actually named a lot of characters after family and friends and mixed all the names around. Oh, um, wow, great. So uh, there's a retired DI, Alan Ingalls, who's actually my dad. <laughs> and he loves that. That's his actual full name. Um, but then the other ones are kind of mixed names up. So you've there's a character in there called, um, I think he's a DS, called Keir Jameson. Um, and my brother's called Kieran James Ingalls. So that's him. Except you made him Irish, which I really like. Did I? Yeah. Oh, I Jameson. Like, I suppose uh, Jameson. Keir Jameson sounds like an Irish name, obviously. But um, in my head, he was just my brother. So it was really <laughs> nice that he wasn't that in the book. <laughs> Um, my Irish brother. Well, yeah. you know, from your time spent in Dublin, exactly. maybe, maybe you do now have an Irish brother somewhere. <laughs> Who knows? Well, that's interesting. Yes. You see, that's what happens when you read a book. I'm just desperate to find another accent. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of Londoners in that because it's set in London. Yeah. It's a lot of, you know, policemen, CID, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so I'm sure I just kind of went, oh, Irish. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and also you made um, Alan Scottish because I did specify that he was Scottish. So that worked. Great. Okay, good. So I had heard your really good Scottish accent before I came today. So that was good. Um, yes. Well, so but who knows? So obviously Becky will have chapters. Yes. Eddie will have chapters. Yes. So if hopefully I get to do Eddie again, Somebody else might get to do Becky this time. It might possibly. Maybe yeah. we should ask Imogen. Yeah. Maybe you could actually team up, and you could be my dream team of audio narrators, <laughs> or people who read words out loud. People like who read them. words out loud. <laughs> I, th I, I do like that much better. <laughs> out loud talking people. Um, so what's I going to say? Well, I was going to ask you about accents, wasn't I? Because you said that you think the first one was possibly trying to escape the bullies in Gullen. The bully. Um, <laughs> notoriously the bad bully. The next, the latest novel by <laughs> Susie Holiday. So, in fact, Susie Holiday, can I just ask before we get on to the accents? Yeah. Is that your pen name? Is that your own name? No, it's it? my real name. It's my married name. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, Ingalls is actually my, um, yeah, Ingalls, which actually I need to pull you up on describing it as Inglis in the book, but, you know, it's fine. Did I? Yeah. You did, yeah. <gasps> That's terrible. It, did. it is terrible, especially as you clearly know the accent from oh, the area. Oh, my God. No, that's awful. That's terrible. Well, I'm just going to bring him back into the next book so he can fix it. <laughs> so, okay, so that must happen. Now, obviously, you've confessed that you've never listened to one of your audiobooks all the way through. Yeah, exactly. It probably happens all the time. Well, actually, we get a, we get a note given to us when we're um, asked to kind of say if we're happy with the choice of narrators. Um, and we're asked to write notes of things like that. So pronunciations or anything specific or, right. you know, this person's really squeaky, you know, whatever. You can write those things if you want. <laughs> this person's really squeaky. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that is the sort of, that's the sort of note that as a narrator you go, no! I've never written that. I would see no, that as please a, don't do that. I would see that as a um, director's note or something like that or whatever. Obviously, if someone is supposed to be Scottish or Irish or Welsh, or American or whatever, um, then it's handy for you to know that. For sure. But there is a big divide between narrators and authors. And, and the divide seems to come from publishers. I mean, I've had, you know, uh, audiobook publishers say to me, oh, absolutely, please don't reach out to the author. Really? Because they don't like it. They don't, you know, the publishers don't like authors being disturbed or being bothered by it. Whereas I, th I think That's it's... That's really strange. Yeah. I think it is a strange Because one of the things that we put on this, because with um, Thomas and Mercer, we, everything's all very um, 
they have forms for everything so it's quite simple and they have on that um if there are any um ambiguities what do you want the audio reader to do and it's like contact you directly um make their own decision or uh something else you know i thought all those questions something else i don't know something else something or phone else. A friend. <laughs> yeah yes. um or um i don't know whatever whatever there's a few options right so then yeah i always tick the one saying contact me because i think well yeah please do absolutely because it, you want you're the one that knows yeah you've written it exactly you are, i mean you're the most important person in all of this <laughs> no, it's true though you it is true you know without you without you sitting down and coming up with this idea mm -hmm. and then writing the book then the audiobook wouldn't wouldn't happen. So. No, but you know what's interesting about that? And um, when I see reviews for audiobooks, a lot of the time they are very much for the narrator, not for the book. And there are people who will actively seek out the narrator over and over again because they like listening to them. Yes, I, I, I realise that's probably very true, <laughs> Susie. I, I do have my own legion of fans. Who, most of true. them can it's be found at any time of the day, camped outside my house. <laughs> headphones clamped to their ears um well no it's true you can you can and and i and i listen to a lot of audiobooks um not my own uh, i hasten to add although although i did start to listen to deaths of december as i say recently and i was like oh yeah that was pretty good <laughs> i really liked eddie's voice actually. See, i told I like, you you really yeah, liked no. i really liked it we're geniuses i know um <laughs> so i listen to a lot of audiobooks but um you know it, it, I'm trying to find a way of saying this without being rude, but sometimes you can listen to somebody, the sample, you know, on Audible, you can go on Audible, as you know, and listen to a sample of five yeah. minutes, and you just know within two minutes, you just think, I can't, yeah. I cannot listen to 11 yeah. hours of this person speaking, I'm sorry. Yes. You know, um, so you have a say in, in the narrator, do you? Yeah, usually they'll ask, is there anyone particular you, that you would like? Okay. Um, and you say Brad Pitt. And I and say, go, mm. yeah, I say Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts usually, but they're never available. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and then sometimes they, they don't really pay attention. But, you know, you do get a choice to say that. So, I mean, I okay. did mention you as soon as I said I was doing the sequel, I said, please contact Simon to be Eddie again, because no one else can do it now. Oh, thank you. So, yes, that should happen. Um, that's nice but yeah in general I think yeah you do get a bit of a choice actually I think it was for substitute I got sent a few samples um, because I think you're right that they did do that as multiple and um, they sent me a few and said was I happy with them all and f for which parts they were all doing so I thought that's interesting too because so when they do that do they come to you with a specific part to say we want you to do this point of view from in this book or do they say are you interested in doing any of this book and then they work it out later how does that work no it depends they would they would they would say specific parts but also they would it, it depends what it is i i mean i basically work for two different publishers one is brilliance who i think your brilliance is the tom's and mercer is yeah the, yeah it's your your one and they're in michigan um and uh they would say we we would like to suggest you for this and very often you have to do a test so they'll send a right. page of a book through and you read it and they won't really tell you much about it i mean in fact the last one i did was about a month or so ago i suppose through them and they said oh he, he's got to sound like jeremy irons and i was like that's quite specific oh, great thanks you know and i listened to, to, to mr irons and i just thought i can't do that i mean it's you know I just so I just sort of went went a little bit deeper and a little bit sort of posher, I yeah. suppose. Anyway, it was fine. He was to play a butler in this quite eye-wateringly um, explicit 
shall we say, oh. novel. Yeah, that was quite sad. I mean, fortunately, as, <laughs> as the sort of older character in it, the butler, I was thinking, oh, thank God I don't have any sex scenes. Until, you know, three quarters of the way through, yep, I'm stupping some woman that I've met. And I'm like, oh, my God, please, please. But no, I must say, the main character had... Ooh, she had pages and pages of it. Wow, interesting. Bless her. Anyway, but so, yeah, so they, they say, you know, you've got uh, audition for this. And so you, and, and then they either say, I'm afraid it went another way, which is, <laughs> which is the great euphemism. <laughs> oh, you know, they really loved you, but they just went another way. <laughs> I, not your way, mate. Um, but with um, Alverscroft or Isis publishing, they just tend to sort of say, can you read the part of James yeah. or Jacob or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. And then what about accents, though? Because I, I asked you that before, I think. But, um, like, how do you get them? Like, so do you listen to stuff? Do you, Are you trained in accenting? Yes. I, I, I underwent four years intensive accent <laughs> training, Susie, um, at a small Welsh croft. <laughs> who, who, I, was, who was that guy the, uh, the in sort of 80s, 90s guy who was really very good impressionist and he could just have a whole conversation switching accents all the whole time? Uh, not Rory Bremner. No, but Mike like Yarwood. Mike Yarwood. Mike Yarwood. Yeah. And this is me. He used to do that <laughs> at the end of his show. He used to go, and this is me. And he used to sing a little song <laughs> at the end of it. Oh, bless him. I saw him in our local curry house once, Mike Yarwood, many, many, many years ago. Um, to be honest, yeah, I think, I think it's not dissimilar to that, actually, to the impression thing. It's interesting because when you get it, you know, when you're, when you're just in your own little bubble, you think, oh, I can do lots of accents, you know, and, and I can, and that's great. But then you get out into the world of voiceovers. Yeah. And it's like, you meet all these people who can not only do accents, they can do every impression under the sun. They can also do the sound of a helicopter <laughs> taking off from a tall building in a Force 10 gale. Oh and you're just God. like, what? You know, so some people are incredibly versatile with their voices um, and others aren't. And, and you know, and it, it depends. I mean, some people... Some people love the fact that you do accents in audiobooks, you know, having read some of the reviews, and other people really don't like it. Yeah, they just want it read straight out as if you're mm. reading them a bedtime story. Yeah. But even if you were doing that, wouldn't you kind of do it a bit? I mean, I would. If I was reading the bedtime story, I'd be trying to yeah. differentiate the characters a bit. You do have to a bit, don't you, I think? Yeah. And it also depends on on the author, because, of course, some, some people are big writers of he said, she said. Mm. Um, and other people just don't do that. They just... Yeah. Sort of put it down on a page uh, and you have to kind of work out who's speaking. Uh, I, yeah, I, it's just something I've always been able to do. I'd love to say I, you know, spent hours researching it. I'd love... At voice... Four years in Voice person school. At, at voice person school. At, at reading out loud person yeah. school. Yeah, that's, that's where I went. <laughs> uh, and um, Yeah, it's... I mean, it's weird and it's funny because it's a thing that actors... I mean, I teach uh, students uh, um, now mainly at Bristol Old Vic Theatre School uh, on Friday, and I've got three days this week with them online doing their audiobook reels, actually, sort of directing their reels. And, you know, some of them can do it, and others just really can't. And when I hear it, it is slightly like magic. There was this girl from Northern Ireland, actually, um, who had this fantastic Northern Irish accent, you know, and she was doing this thing, and then suddenly, then suddenly she went Northern, and then she went <laughs> then she went Cockney, and I was like, oh, my God, you could really do this. You're great. You that know? is cool. And it is cool. I, it. But it's, I mean, so when you went to Ireland mm. and you said you, you developed a, an Irish accent, mm. so was it, well, you were in Dublin. So, I was in Dublin, yeah. So was it a Dublin, oh. did you go Dublin or did you go? I couldn't do it now. You okay. know what? Do you know what? There were certain. You can't do it now. No, there were certain okay. words that I think I picked up and that's just because I was hearing them all the time. Right. 
Um, and there were certain things I said, and I remember a friend of mine actually laughing at me one day for something I said, and she was like, where did you get that from? I was like, it's obviously just something that's absorbed into my head now, and I said it. And But I've done the same thing. Like, I went to university in Dundee, and um, it's not that far from Edinburgh, but it's got a very different accent. Mm. And uh, I, I modified it there because I was hearing things differently. And I remember being back at home after my exams and a friend of mine from Dundee phoned me and was talking to him for a little while and he went, oh, I can tell you're back home. So like it had gone back. Right. It's really odd. So I think mine is a very temporary thing. And I think probably when I go to these places, it comes back, but it doesn't, I can't get it if I'm not there. So yeah, it's very odd. Right. Okay. I mean, if I went to, I'd love to live in America because I quite like an American accent. I don't know where from, maybe California. <laughs> and um, if I lived there for a while, That's I reckon I'd have yeah. one. Yeah, I think you should. I think you should just go to California <laughs> just so you can get the accent and come back. Yeah, I feel like one of those, you know, what's his name, John Barrowman, who switches between Scottish and American whenever he feels like it. And David Tennant, of course. Does he do that as well? Yeah. Even just his normal conversation, though. Oh, oh, I don't know. Yeah, well, so John Barrowman seems to do this in his normal conversation. Like, he'll do an interview and he'll just be, you'll have his Scottish accent and then he'll do another interview and he'll be his American self. It's quite weird. It's quite disconcerting because mm. it's the same person, but yes, I yeah, I do find that odd because you you do slightly change who you are. Yeah, when you're doing another accent, I think. Yeah, I think so. Don't you? Yeah, I don't know who I was when I was in Ireland. It was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> or Dundee for you that were, matter. You were Susie there, <laughs> Susie, Susie. Who'd love a point I of do Guinness. remember the first time I got into a cab in Dublin, and the taxi driver said something, and I had not a clue. Not a clue. And then I realised that this feeling was really quite mutual very quickly. <laughs> and I, I went into a supermarket one day. Um, to, I was making chicken fajitas, so I needed sour cream. So I asked for sour cream and uh, I ended up with three shop assistants round, crowding around me going, say it again. Say it. It's like, Jesus Christ. I don't Marie, know. Would you come over here? Would you come over here and listen to her? Listen to her asking for this cream. God knows what she wants now. It was exactly like that. And they were so lovely, but they were looking at me like I was a zoo animal. Um, so then I realised that, yeah, that's, you know, you do have to, you are a different person. You have to, you have to speak differently as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did the fajitas turn out? They were very good. I didn't actually get any sour cream, I don't think, but, no, you know. No, but perhaps, <laughs> perhaps understandably. <laughs> What would they call it then? So you're, you're so. It was still so called cream. that. It was just. So cream. I don't know. Do you say it in a double accent? Say sour cream. Sour. Sour. Sour yeah, cream. Yeah, see, there you go. Sour. There you go. They I weren't think. getting a sour. It was just a different. Sour. You got sour cream. <laughs> sour. Sour. <laughs> Could you that? Sour. <laughs> 14 people from Northern Ireland, Portman. Does she want sour cream? Uh, I don't know what cream she wants. Uh, see, no, I wouldn't. It's just. I just want some cream for my fajitas. For, <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh god oh. well that's got to be in the next book somehow oh I yeah think. just people the search for sour cream <laughs> the new novel by Susie holiday i actually prefer the one about the gull and bullies i think okay that's the, the gull and bullies <laughs> <laughs> oh listen um i'm just going to check the time again because i'm keeping you i realize and i'm well, not only am i keeping you you're keeping Jamie from being I'm, inside his I'm, home. Yes, I'm keeping keeping Susie's husband outside her home, <laughs> his home too. Yeah, he called just as I was about 10 minutes away to say that he'd forgotten his key. Um, because I think it's actually my fault because I said I was going to come here at two o'clock. 
and said he'd come early. And so he thought he would be back before I left and he wasn't. So now he's wandering the streets. Wandering the streets of <laughs> West London. Yes, yeah, it's, a, it's a sad story. Sobbing. Does he read your books? I mean, at, at an early stage? Not an early stage, no. He likes to he likes to wait till the, he gets the signed paperback that he gets, <laughs> obviously. And he's always got the last line in the acknowledgements, so that's a bit of a tradition. Okay, that's um, nice. Also, he reads mostly non-fiction, um, so the only fiction he reads is mine. So it's fair enough. He's not oh, he's not okay. going to read it really quickly because it's not his normal sort of book. So no, he, like, okay. he likes to wait. So he's reading The Hike at the moment. He's not finished it yet. But um, he will finish it. He's not reading it out loud, though, is he? No, he doesn't read no, it out loud, no, generally. No. That would be quite disturbing. It would be quite disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, thank you. Um, I'm not going to keep you anymore and, and keep Jamie wandering the streets of West London. Um, so, look, you know, anything else we want to talk about in the last two minutes before we stop? Um, no, I just, I think one of the things I... Was I mentioned earlier actually was just the fact that audio and podcast and all this stuff has just become such a big thing now, which is really good because it's just another way to multitask, isn't it? You can listen to stuff while you're walking. Because what mm. I used the reason I didn't listen to audiobooks much before was I used to always listen to them in bed because that's when I read, but they would put me to sleep. Um, because yes. the very first one I ever listened to years ago, me and my sisters went into um, bookshop in Edinburgh and we bought one of the Rebus books and it was narrated by. I can't remember his name, but he was in Taggart at one point, the blonde-haired man in okay. Taggart. And he's got a lovely voice, so we thought, we'll listen to this in the afternoon. And then my mum came home, and we were all <laughs> snoring on the couch listening to this man, <laughs> just, you know, talking about murders in Glasgow. Murder. I love um, that, the Scots accent. Actually, no, murder. he wasn't, because he was doing Rebus, so he was in Edinburgh. But anyway, oh, okay. that, that um, there's still murder. Still the same still murder. murder, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Right. But so, yeah, since then, it kind of thought, I kind of thought, I can't do it. Um, but when I'd read this in December, um, or listened to, I did it walking, and that's I realised that's what I need to do. It's actually great for for walking because it's, mm. um, or, I mean, you can get run over because you get quite distracted. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, apart from the yes, apart yeah. from the obvious traffic dangers, yeah. we recommend listening I'd to all books whilst walking. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because because the sleeping thing, because there are a number of apps, one of which I uh, contribute to called Slumber. Oh, cool. So, and if I use it all the time, I don't listen to my voice. Uh, good evening and welcome oh, to slumber. That would definitely put me to sleep. I'm Simon. <laughs> Hello, Simon. And you know, and then off and off we go. Oh, and there's music right. in the background, yeah, and yeah. you can put you can put little sound effects behind it. You can put the sea, or you can put birds, yeah. or you know, the A three o seven from <laughs> just outside Ipswich. You know, on a on a cold and frosty Monday morning, and that kind of thing. You know, so it's good. Cool. Anyway, um, well, look, I look forward to the next one. Uh, do, do you have a title for the next one yet? Or do I mean, not allowed to say? Y yes, it's called The Party Season. The Party Season. Yeah. Which is a bit of play on the hunting season and, um, you know, it's office parties and that kind of mm. thing. Mm. Yeah. But someone stalking people at Christmas parties. Great. Well, I look forward to it and I hope I get to read Eddie. Yes, I hope so. All right. Thank you so much, Susie. Thanks for having me. The Wrong Celt by Simon Mattox, with apologies to Susie Holiday. Eddie drove the rental car fast through the darkening, rain-slicked Dublin streets, his left hand reaching out now and then to change gear, only to return unsatisfied to the steering wheel as the car's automatic gearbox did its automatic thing. Becky smiled at him. There's no big rush, boss. There's only some dopey shopkeeper having a bad day. 
Eddie peered ahead, grim-faced. Yeah, well, this is our first time in the Republic, and I want to make a good impression. Becky glanced down at her phone as the overly articulate voice of the sat-nav drawled, You have arrived at your destination. Eddie opened the car door and walked towards the brightly lit interior of Tutty's corner shop. Good evening. I'm DS Eddie Carmine, and this is DC Becky Green. What seems to be the trouble? The burly man behind the shop counter pushed a hank of greasy blonde hair back behind his ear. Yous took your bloody time, didn't you? He wheezed. I had the devil of a time keeping her from running off. Sorry, sir. Took a bit of time navigating my way around the unfamiliar streets. Now, what's going on? She keeps asking for something. The same thing over and over. But I haven't a bloody clue what she's on about. If you ask me, I think she's a bit soft in the head. Eddie turned to the young, dark-haired woman sat stiffly on a plastic chair, her hands clasped firmly on her lap. Her left knee bobbed up and down, fast, as if operating an invisible bobbin on an equally invisible sewing machine. Becky crouched down in front of the woman, so her head was level with hers. She spoke slowly and clearly, as if to a young child. Good evening. Are you okay? Is there something you need? The young woman blew out her cheeks in exasperation. Klim, she said curtly. Do you have an injury? asked Becky sympathetically. For God's sake, the woman huffed. I'm making chicken fajitas. I just want some sour cream. See? The burly shopkeeper leaned on the counter towards Eddie. Absolute bloody gibberish. It's all right for you post-Brexit English, but we still get the foreigners coming over here day after day, jabbering away in some language I've never heard of. She's from Scotland, said Eddie wryly. At least, I imagine so, by the sound of her accent. Eddie turned to the woman. Is that right, love? The woman nodded. Aye, so much for all being kilts together. Scotland, is it? So what's she after? The woman stood facing the shopkeeper, her hands on her hips. So a bloody cream! The shopkeeper's face took on a pained expression. His eyes scrunched together as he tried to understand. Nope, not a bloody clue. Sour cream, said Becky softly, standing alongside the woman. Sour cream, said the shopkeeper, turning to the woman with a wheezy laugh. Well, why didn't you say so? Ah! Oh. The woman slapped her arms down by her sides in exasperation. I think she has been trying, said Eddie softly. Sorry, love. The shopkeeper turned away to serve a young man standing at the counter with a pint of milk in his hand. But we're out of stock. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more in the series, please visit our website, www.talkingbooks.org.uk.